Well, good morning to you. If you are joining us here in the room or online for the first time, my name is Rob. I'm one of the ministers here. And one of my favorite films of all time is a movie called Invictus. Anybody seen it? Yeah, a few hands here. Invictus tells the incredible story of the events surrounding the 1995 Rugby World Cup, which were pivotal to the realization of a dream by Nelson Mandela to unite what was quite a fractured country at the time. It's a really inspirational film. I really highly recommend it to you. But what you may or you may not know is that Invictus is actually a Latin word, and it means unconquerable or undefeated. And the movie's title came from the title of a poem that Nelson Mandela is said to have regularly recited while he was in prison. It's written by an English poet by the name of William Ernest Henley, and I'm going to read it to you now. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is a poem that's essentially about resilience in the face of both adversity that you experience in life and also the ever-present threat, the looming reality of death that comes to us all. It's about not allowing your circumstances, the circumstances of your life or your death, to rob you of your dignity but instead take responsibility for your life and how you choose to respond to the hand that you've been dealt. Now last week, Alex uh, really, really helpfully used the story of Joseph to remind us how when we can't control circumstances, we can choose what kind of attitude we want to kind of respond to them with. We can choose that. However, as Alex so helpfully pointed out, Joseph's resilience in the story of Joseph, his resilience in the face of adversity didn't just come from some kind of inner resolve to be master of his fate or captain of his soul. It came from something deeper, something deeper than his self-belief, more powerful than his indomitable spirit. So powerful, in fact, that it enabled him to beat the need for revenge, even when the perfect opportunity presented itself. Now, I don't know what you may have suffered in life or who might have wronged you badly enough for you to really yearn for justice. But I do know what happened to Joseph, and it was really, really traumatic. Let's just quickly remind ourselves about what happened to him during the time between his dreams and his destiny actually being fulfilled. In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 37, we're told about the dreams that he had of rising to a position of greatness in the future. He told his dreams to his family saying this. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers weren't that impressed with that, by the way. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Now, I just want to point out, I don't actually think Joseph intended to reign over his brothers, but we find out later in the story, towards the end of his story, that he was in fact destined to rule over them. However, it certainly did not look that way at any point between that dream and that destiny actually coming to pass. Nobody would have seen it coming when Joseph was sold into slavery by the very brothers the dream said he'd rule over. 
It looked even more implausible when he was trafficked hundreds of miles away from them to Egypt. Then, just as he begins to build something of a life for himself again, his master's wife falsely accuses him of terrible crime, and he gets thrown into prison for years on end. Even in prison, he's let down by a fellow prisoner who gets an early release and then promptly forgets all the favors that Joseph has done for him. Things look pretty bleak for Joseph. Now, as we've seen throughout this series, he had a really positive attitude all the way through. And I really admire that about Joseph. His actions during a long period of suffering and injustice, well, they certainly made him a better person rather than a bitter person, right? And they certainly brought him favor with the people that maybe were in charge of his captivity. But here's the thing. Positivity didn't get him out of jail. That's the bottom line. He couldn't will his way to freedom, let alone to the destiny that he dreamed of all those years ago. Joseph may have been the master of his attitude, but he was never really the master of his fate. But Joseph knew that. And unlike the poet William Ernest Henley, who apparently wrote Invictus to celebrate his own resilience, Joseph didn't see his unconquerable soul as some kind of gift from whatever gods there might be. He didn't thank the many Egyptian gods that were worshipped in the land that he came to power in for this unconquerable spirit. In fact, he attributed his resilience to one particular god. A God that he believed was with him at every stage of his journey, in every circumstance that he faced. The God of his ancestors, of Abraham and Isaac and his father Jacob. This was the God who had given him that dream all those years ago, signaling a destiny that nobody would have believed, especially his brothers. But in the end, if you know the story, and if you don't, I'll catch you up, Joseph suddenly has a massive dramatic turn of events. He gets taken out of prison to interpret a dream for Pharaoh because his friend who forgot about him suddenly remembers him when Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret. And he comes and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh and he finds himself suddenly promoted from prisoner to governor of the whole of Egypt. The famine that he predicts that is in this dream that Pharaoh has comes to pass and really solidifies his status as this incredibly powerful and wise person that all of the Egyptians look to for guidance. But not only does the famine do that, the famine causes his brothers, the ones who threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery, it causes them to make this incredibly long journey to Egypt to be able to try and find grain. And so it is that Joseph is presented with the perfect opportunity to get revenge. The story tells us, now Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Can you imagine that moment? That moment where his brothers come and bow down to him and he realizes that that dream that he had all of those years ago has come to pass. That his destiny has arrived and it is exactly what God predicted. For his brothers, by the way, that realization only came a little bit later. He didn't reveal straight away, hey, guess what? I'm Joseph. That came later. But when it came, Along with that realization of who it was that they were before came the realization that they were now at the mercy 
of the brother that they had sold into slavery, who was now, by the way, one of the most powerful people in the world. That must have been pretty awkward. And they were pretty afraid. Listen to what we're told. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I'd be pretty freaked out. I think if I sold my brother into slavery and just never saw him for years and years on end, and then suddenly I happened to come before him in this really powerful position, I'd be pretty worried about what was going to happen next. I'm sure you would too. You know, when Nelson Mandela became the first black president of South Africa, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of fear. A lot of people were very worried about how he would treat those people who had incarcerated him for so many years. But what they didn't know is that before he'd even left prison, he'd already made a vital decision. In his own words, Mandela says this. He says, my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. I think that's incredible. But it's something that clearly Joseph seems to have learned thousands of years beforehand. You see, at the very pinnacle of your destiny, you might have great power over the lives of other people. And you'll only use that moment responsibly if you've already let go of your anger and your bitterness before you get there. But how? How did Joseph beat the need for revenge when it presented to him on, on a silver platter? Well, thankfully, he tells us, he actually tells us in the story in his unexpected response to his brothers. Listen to what he says. He says to them, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What a dramatic turn of events. And then later, years later, Jacob, their father, dies. And his brothers once again fear that he may have just been waiting for the perfect opportunity to exact his revenge, for his father to die so that he doesn't offend his father. But in those moments, Joseph absolutely crystallizes the secret to beating the need for revenge. And it's a question that he asks. It's a simple question, which if answered correctly, changes the way we see absolutely everything that has happened to us. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What a question. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. You know, the adversity that we face in that painful period between the dreams that maybe God gives us and our destiny, that adversity can either make us bitter or better depending on what we believe about God, who he is, and what he's been doing the whole time. You see, if you don't believe it, that God is involved in your life in any meaningful way, maybe you don't believe God exists at all, 
Or maybe you just believe if he exists, he's got nothing to do with what's going on in your life right now. If you don't believe that, and you believe that your circumstances are the product of mere luck or random chance, then really your fate is what you make it, just like the poem kind of suggests. The only thing you can do is have a positive attitude and just see what happens if you put your mind to things. You are the master of your choices. You decide how you treat the people that perhaps you perceive to have wronged you. You are entirely on your own in that decision-making process. However, if like Joseph, you believe God is in charge and he's working out his plans, even when things are really going badly for you, then the truth is it's actually quite hard to focus all of your blame on people because God is the one who ultimately allowed them to do whatever they did that made your life a living hell. Now, if you stop your thinking there, you're going to get very angry with God, aren't you? And here's the problem. So many people stop their thinking there because it's easy to do. It's easy to get to a point where we blame God and say, God, if you've got the power to change things, why did you allow this to happen to me? You must be the villain of the story. However, we see in Joseph something very different. We see that Joseph didn't just believe that God was sovereign, that he was in charge. He believed God was good. He believed that God was the hero of the story all the way through. The one who redeemed horrible experiences. And not just his own, by the way. And therein lies the secret to beating the need for revenge. You see, if you can believe, as Joseph did, that a good God is actually the master of your fate and everybody else's, and you surrender to his will as the captain, and not just of your soul, but as the, soul, the souls of millions and millions of other people, each with their own story and their situations and problems, and you see the complexity of the problems that face the people of the world. If you can believe in a good God, in those circumstances, you can begin to see your situation from a different angle. You can begin to see God being with you in both good and bad circumstances, working for the greater good. And this is why we get so angry with God so often, is we don't see a greater good. We put ourselves in that place where we are the most important person of the story, and we think it's all about us. And then we ask ourselves, why aren't things always working out for me? And we think to ourselves, if I was solving the problem, I'd solve it better than this. But we don't have that perspective of how many lives are hanging in the balance of every decision that God makes. And how could we? We are not God. We do not have to make the God-sized decisions that God makes. God has the power to redeem your past or your present suffering, reframing it into a new story where the actions of other people that were meant to harm you actually set you up for the destiny that he's been preparing for you all along. And not just for you, but for the good of all that he's working for the good of. For the redemption of other people too. 
In the New Testament part of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, he puts it this way. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, purpose changes the way we see everything, especially suffering. What if, like Nelson Mandela, the injustice that you faced over many years became the catalyst for the freedom of a whole nation from a system of segregation and inequality? Would that outcome be enough for you to let go of your need for revenge? What if, like Joseph, the long string of painful events that you've endured actually led to you being able to save millions of people from starvation? Would that destiny be enough to free you from the anger and the need for revenge on the people who put you there in the first place? Because they meant it to harm you, but God intended it for good. You see, if you believe that God is sovereign and God is good, then even bad circumstances can have a purpose and a meaning. And you don't have to see that purpose and meaning in order to get through them. You just have to believe that God is sovereign and good because it changes the way you see everything, especially the need for revenge. See, the trouble with the need for revenge is that it positions us as the main character in a story that is about far more than us. What if instead of placing yourself in that place with the need for revenge being your prerogative, instead of placing God in that place to whom all vengeance belongs, what if you saw God upon the throne of your life, master of your fate, captain of your soul, as well as master and captain of the souls of billions of other people for whom he cares? How might that change how you see his activity in the world, particularly when things look particularly bleak for you? Is it not possible that God could be working for the greater good and that he will eventually prove the worth of those moments and the pain that you endured as they led towards good purposes that he always had in his mind that you just couldn't see at the time. You know, hundreds of years after Joseph, the same God that he worshipped revealed himself to another prince of Egypt, a man named Moses, who was also destined to rescue a nation of people from oppression. And when God introduced himself to Moses, he gave him a name by which he would be known by the Jewish people. That name is Yahweh or Jehovah in Old English. That's how we used to pronounce it here. And it means I am. Well, what if the poem Invictus wasn't about our own inner resilience, but was actually about the resilience that comes from trusting in Yahweh, the great I am? What if instead of believing I am the master of my fate, we believed I am or Yahweh is the master of my fate. I am is the captain of my soul. You see, folks, if you believe in the same good God that Joseph worshipped, the great I am of the Hebrew people, the God who sent Jesus to suffer for the salvation of the world, then you can believe, just like Joseph's suffering between his dream and his destiny, that your own suffering might actually serve a greater purpose. One that goes way beyond our own good, perhaps, but has a purpose for many others in the future. 
You see, you don't need to get revenge on people whose actions put you in a situation that God used for something far more noble. That's how you beat the need for revenge. Seeing God at work, even in the bad circumstances of life, bringing about good, perhaps for you, but certainly for someone, and probably for many. And there's the real challenge. If you believe in a God who is sovereign and good, like Joseph did, then you can decide even now to let go of your need for revenge long before God's purposes are revealed to you. Like Nelson Mandela, you can leave your bitterness and your hatred behind. Leave them in a cell somewhere. You can decide not to hold on to them anymore. Even if you haven't seen the fullness of that destiny yet, the fullness of God's purpose, you can leave it behind. You can trust that if God is good and God is still in control, that one day this will make sense. Because he is bringing good out of every circumstance, not just the ones that we think are good circumstances. Because that's his place. And nobody can stand in the place of God. If you want to come to a point in your life where that's the kind of resilience you want in your life, the resilience that comes from knowing God is in control and God is good, and you want to pray a prayer to ask God to take that anxiety and that fear and that pain and to help you to process it in light of who he is, then I want to invite you to pray what I'm calling the Invictus Yahweh prayer. And you can pray with me now. It'll come up on the screen. Let's pray together. God over all, I surrender to your will. Help me believe you're still good when others mean me ill. Help me forgive, trusting you to redeem all of those moments that felt nothing but mean. Father of mankind, help me to see your redemption is for everyone, not just for me. Use me for good, Lord, though it comes at a cost, so that others might gain from the comforts I've lost. Grant me the faith, Lord, come rain or come shine, to say the kingdom, the power, and the glory are thine. Amen. God bless you.